Blessed be our God. Forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray you graciously to behold this, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the BCP and me the podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, and as usual, I am joined here by Father Joshua Nelson as we, this week, continue our exploration of the liturgy of the Triduum, and we focus our attention today on the liturgy appointed for Good Friday. Good afternoon, Father Joshua. Good afternoon, Father Tyler. You can't see us from where you all are seated out there in your cars and or in your jobs or wherever you're listening to us from. Um, but Father Joshua and I have coordinated our wardrobes for this occasion independently. From different time zones. In different time zones. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, the Holy Spirit tends to grab a hold of us and does funny things like that from time to time. Before we get way too deep into this, like we always do, I just want to say a special hello to everybody who has joined us on the Discord server um, and everybody who has been participating in uh, our posts on our Facebook page. Um, we'll have some exciting news for you at the end of today's podcast. Um, but just a special hello to all of the listeners that are saying hello to us. If you are not a part of the Discord server yet, you can find a link for that on our website. Um, and we're having some we're having some pretty good discussions about things going on inside of the liturgies. So, hey to all of our Discord members, and hello to those of you who will hopefully join us uh, sometime soon on the Discord server. All of that being said. Father Joshua, what uh, what news have you from from the land of the Ohio River Valley? Uh, just some natural phenomena. Is uh, our listeners will know, Father Tyler and I both attended seminary at the University of the South, also known as Sewanee, on top of uh, the southern point of the Cumberland Plateau. We affectionately known as the mountain. And one of our favorite things about Swanee was the Swanee fog. It, it has some magical powers, I think. Um, sometimes it can be really frustrating because you don't see the sun for a couple of days, but it's just that you're so high in altitude that the, the clouds descend um, and you feel very much like the apostles at the transfiguration. But there's something comforting and wonderful about Swanee Fog. And yesterday morning, I woke up in 
Gallup Police, Ohio, and I live right across the street from the Ohio River. It's right there. And I looked out my window and could not see the river at all. I uh, actually had to walk about half a block to where my car was because they're doing mm-hmm. some, some construction on my street. And couldn't see, you know, three feet in front of me. And it felt like Swanee fog. And there was some comfort to that yesterday morning. So some natural phenomena going on in Gallup Police. Yeah, we we here on the Fox River, uh, which is the river that runs through Green Bay and De Pere and Appleton and Point South. We had some Swanee fog uh, this last week, too. Uh, so a uh, little taste of home, a uh, little taste of of things that have uh, have happened before. Um, they, they just finished up the alumni lectures at Swanee. So I'm guessing our, our Swanee angels were sent out <laughs> to all those alumni that could not get back to the mountain. And we could do a whole podcast on, on the School of Theology at Swanee, but we are here today to talk about something else that is good. Although on first glance, it doesn't always seem good. Um, I've always I've always had a little bit of a struggle with the name of this day, Good Friday, and sort of the um, sort of the paradoxical nature of the naming of this particular day in the church. Well, the word that I would use, Father Tyler, is is tension, and that's something that is present on purpose within the triduum, um, and really within the church in general. We are a people of, of, of tension. This, uh, you know, the the life with Christ and the the life in the world, and we live in this liminal space, and and it comes to a head on Good Friday. Mm. And how? Um, as we heard in in the opening collect today about how our Lord Jesus Christ was not just betrayed and given into the hands of the sinners to suffer death upon the cross, but he was willing to undergo those things. Mm-hmm. Um, as the goosebumps rise up on my arms and up my back, um, Jesus chose this. Mm. When, and well, and Kind of a, a look back to Monday Thursday. We ended our last episode discussing uh, the um, Gethsemane watch. And when Jesus goes with his apostles and disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's the great agony in the garden. There's this tension that is built up within Jesus himself where this is presented to him. This passion, this suffering, this death is presented to Jesus and in his full humanity as he was, he says, father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't really want to go through with this. However, not my will, but yours be done. And then he comes as a lamb to the slaughter. Um, I also want to point out today, you'll notice we did not uh, include any music. We began in prayer. 
in silence. And, and that's how we kind of did that to plan out living into the Triduum, living into this service as it would be done. This is a service that when you come to the church, it begins in silence, um, just as Maundy Thursday ended in silence. They are a continuation of each other, and uh, it sets the solemn tone for the rest of this service. And programming note, you can also expect us to end this episode in silence as well, as we will transition from this episode into our next one. And then we will have a different kind of noise then. Hmm. But something you said about, about Maundy Thursday hearkened me back to even the collect for the Sunday of the Passion that sets the tone for all of Holy Week. And if yes, we think yes. back to, what has that been? You know, six weeks ago now, um, almost. The the opening collect for the Liturgy of the Palms, um, I'll save you from having to go back in your podcast app and find the episode and listen to it. But we started our exploration of Holy Week with the prayer, Assist us mercifully with your help, O Lord God of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those mighty acts whereby you have given us life and immortality through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we enter into Holy Week thinking about all of the mighty things that Jesus is going to do and mighty in a way that is a contradiction to what yeah, we yeah. consider being might. Um, in, in a modern context, we think that the guy with the biggest nuclear missile or, or the guy that speaks with the loudest voice or the craziest hair or or the billionaire that can get to space first. The billionaire that can get to space but can't seem to figure out how to solve world hunger mm. is the mightiest. Mm. And Jesus shows us a different version of mighty. Um, Jesus shows us strength that is perfected in weakness. Um, which is a really nice segue into our lessons for today, I mm -hmm. think. Um for those of you that are playing along at home with the home edition of the BCP and me, feel free to take out your leather bound books of common prayer and turn to page 276. Or if you're using the online version, please remember that we're in the, um, we are in the liturgies, for special, liturgies for special days section and you can click there and then click to good Friday and you'll still be on the same page with us. So father Joshua our options for the Old Testament or Isaiah and Genesis, and we're going to try and treat a couple of these. Yeah, we get three options uh, for the reading from the Old Testament on Good Friday. Um, we're not going to read through them. We're just going to kind of highlight the themes that come in each. Uh, but we'll let you know if you don't have a copy in front of you what they are. So if you'd like to look them up at a later point. Um, but they are from Isaiah, Genesis, and the Book of Wisdom, also known as the Book of Sirach. The first being Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. What do we have to say about that one, Father Tyler? So this portion of... Isaiah, which is getting towards the end of Isaiah's prophecy for the people of Israel, 
describes a person uh, known as the suffering servant. Um, and the way that this has been exegeted in the past has been somewhat a little lib- literal. Um, as it says in verse 13 of, of chapter 52, See, my servant shall proper shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. And it goes on to talk about how this suffering servant will be marred in appearance so much so that he even that this person doesn't even look like a human anymore and how he will shock the nations with his appearance mm. and that they kings will shut their mouths because of him and because of these things people will be incredulous who in fact at at verse at chapter 53 verse 1 Uh, Isaiah writes, who has believed what we have heard and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So this idea of this, this suffering servant, this person who, who demonstrates servanthood, true literal servanthood by suffering for us, by everything that, that they go through. And in fact, in, in the Isaiah passage, the, the person that is being identified is being identified with male pronouns. So we can even go on to say the per, that the person that he has gone through. Um, one of the most powerful passions or one of the most powerful sections of this particular section of scripture um, that I am going to read Um begins in chapter 53 at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. There's some tension. And some pretty compelling prophecy Mm -hmm. Uh, from a Christian perspective, looking back into this, as, as we have to be careful about how we treat Hebrew Scripture. Mm hmm but looking back at it, we can begin to see some of some of the the tones and some of the themes that point us towards the Christian understanding of a Messiah. And we can begin to see how it informs the way that we read the Gospels and the way that the Gospel story is told and the way that we begin to understand the ministry of Jesus, who was Jewish, who had the prophecies of Isaiah at hand. Um, and understood what the Messiah was to be. Not not this conquering war hero, but the suffering servant. And I think even, let's look back at first, chapter 53, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. It's not obvious, right? It's not obvious that this is the savior of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no Captain America here. 
we haven't got to musicals yet, but we can at least do the Avengers. <laughs> Moving right along to Genesis, Father Joshua. Genesis 22 verses 1 through 18. And uh, again, I just want to reiterate what Father Tyler has said. We have to be very careful in projecting our own views and thoughts onto Hebrew scripture, um, onto the Old Testament. So Genesis chapter 22 is commonly known as the binding of Isaac, also known in some circles as the sacrifice of Isaac, although Isaac is not actually sacrificed. He is just bound up. Um, one thing I would like to really point out about this, especially as it relates to our understanding with Christ, is that Isaac also goes willingly. The son goes willingly, right? Mm. Um, he asks his father, Abraham, uh, well, where is the ram for the sacrifice? We've got the wood, we've got everything else. And uh, Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And when it comes time for it, um, Isaac doesn't struggle. There is actually Midrash that Isaac is anywhere between um, being a teenager to even maybe as, as old as 35, 40. When this story takes place, you know, He's stronger than dad, right? Um, Father Josh, I just I just want to jump in right here for those of us who don't speak Hebrew tradition. Oh, what um, midrash we might is. want to talk about what midrash is, so that people don't think they need a cream for that. Okay, <laughs> um, midrash is just being a commentary and uh, extra stories to uh, go with what is canonically scripture what we see is, you know, Genesis chapter 22. Um, so within the Midrashic, Midrashic tradition, uh, Isaac could have fought back, but Isaac is bounded. Isaac um, goes willingly onto the altar of sacrifice, um, which is something I think that is often missed. And, and Christ then going, as we have said, willingly into suffering and, and giving up his life. And the interesting thing there is, is that as we think more about this, as I think more about this, one of the one of the telling questions that happens in this interaction between Isaac and and Abraham is that Isaac asks where the sacrifice is going to come from. And Abraham responds that God will provide. Again, we have to be careful how we treat Hebrew scriptures, but Christians can't help but get excited. Because even from the beginning of Genesis, with the interaction between Adam and Eve and the serpent, who is the serpent and not the devil, um, we can have another podcast on that. Yeah. Um, we begin to see that even in the initial fall, that God starts providing a way back. God even tells Eve that promises Eve that, you know, that that he will put enmity between her seed and and the seed of the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel 
and the man will crush the serpent's head, putting an end to this, to this, uh, to this division that the serpent brought into brought into our lives. Um, mm-hmm. um, and, and you begin to see this, this hope of salvation, even from the very beginning, taking shape. There is always, there is, the purpose is always reconciliation. Mm. Mm. Always. From the, from the get-go, it is about reconciliation, um, which I think a lot of us can learn in how we treat other people too, right? Mm. There, you may be angry and there may be some division. There may be something that has caused strife. But as children of God, from the get-go, our goal should always be reconciliation. Does it mean it's easy? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, there's a cross in the way. Um, and it also doesn't mean that it's not uncomplicated and reconciliation in terms of human relationship may also look like learning how to walk apart from each other. But, yes. it, but as, as we hear also in scripture, in as far as it depends on us to live peaceably with one another, sometimes that is exactly what reconciliation looks like mm-hmm. is burying the hatchet somewhere else besides in each other's foreheads. Um, and, and learning how to, to be at peace. And while we may not always like our neighbors, um, loving them is a different thing altogether because loving our neighbors is more about being with them and helping them and standing with them when the chips are down. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you all play at the same Parcheesi game every single week. And it doesn't mean that you're always breaking bread with each other. But when it really matters you stand up and you hold hands with your neighbor and you help each other through. That's the real nature of reconciliation, not being plopped into a get along shirt with somebody and saying, now you two kiss and make up. Yeah. That's, that's probably bad psychology and that's probably bad pastoral care. If, if you're, if in a difficult situation, when it's clear that there is a history of abuse or a history of someone being taken advantage of, the best that you can offer is, well, y'all just need to work that out. Uh, Working it out can look like a lot of things besides walking side by side. That being said, we digress. The next reading that we get is from the Book of Wisdom, also known as the Book of Sirach. And... For many of our listeners, uh, if you are not within um, the Episcopal Church, familiar with the Episcopal Church or Roman Catholic Church or um, even Lutherans, uh, you may not know about this book. <laughs> it is often found within what is known as the Apocrypha and uh, is not necessarily part of the full accepted canon in a lot of our traditions. Um, but the point of it, this passage, and it is poetry, I will point that out. It is poetry about dealing with separation, about dealing with death, about looking at uh, our understood reasoning 
that there is no coming back from death. For human history, for human experience, that is truth, right? Um, But as we will see in the days to come, in our Christian understanding, that is changed forever. Um, Within the poetry, I, I love this uh, passage, let me see which verse it is. I've omitted those, but um, verse 20 states, let us condemn him to a shameful death for according to what he says, he will be protected. If we look at this then with a Christian lens, there's a mockery that comes when Christ is on the cross. Um, thief turning to him and saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. Um, You know, why are you going through this? Why are you going to death? Mm. You who truly do not deserve this. And it's, again, we're, we're getting back to that idea of true self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That as we understand it from our perspective, Jesus does this not because he has to, but because it is chosen. From the very beginning of the incarnation into the resurrection, we see Jesus choosing to cast his lot in with the children of God to bring reconciliation about. Um, And it's a choice that he just keeps making. Um, and even his response to the thief on the cross, you know, we have the taunter that, you know, if you are the son of God, save us all. Mm-hmm. And the other one, the repentant thief that says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, says to all of us, Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. As the goosebumps creep back up my arm again. <laughs> I, when I recorded the trailer for this, for this episode a few days ago, I talked about how Good Friday, among its other, other themes and its other um, currents that run through it, is actually a day of great hope. A, a day that speaks to us in, in light of incalculable loss and incalculable suffering and suffering that we can hardly comprehend. And the meta narrative, English degree at work here, <laughs> the meta narrative that is present within these readings that we get from the Hebrew scriptures and even in the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John is that in the midst of all of this terrible external suffering, there is also a great deal of terrible internal suffering. Mm -hmm. And God is present in the midst of it. And not only present in the midst of it, but going through it with us as one of us. I, I think there's this, there is this perverse narrative that, about God that gets kicked around 
and it's and it's carried on by those who have a very judgmental view of of what God is about in the world. And I'm not going to point fingers, but there's this definite narrative that sometimes run through certain brands of Christian theology that portrays God as the angry, the angry kid on the anthill, you know, with a magnifying glass seeking to burn off our antenna, that, that all God is interested in is death and judgment and leads us to the jingoistic sort of phrasing of get right or get left or turn or burn, or you're going to split the gates of hell wide open because you've angered God so much. Have, have they actually read the gospel of John? I desire not the death of sinners. Hello. Hello. Is this thing on? (laughs) You know, um, you you see all of this turmoil going around, and Jesus is present in all of it. And Jesus, even, even on the way of the cross, even as he's making his way to, Gol- to Golgotha, as he is preparing to stretch out his arms upon the hard wood of the cross, he stops and comforts the daughters of Jerusalem. Yes. Yes. He stops and says, hey, mom. He encounters people in the midst of his agony. Even, even while hanging on the cross, while hanging on the cross, he continues to sing the Psalms, as we discussed in the last episode, and to preach the truth of the kingdom from the, while hanging on the cross. And even thinking about who's going to take care of mom. Yeah. You know, like like Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'm handing myself over to these sinners and that's it. I'm going to be done. He continues to speak to us and teach us even up to and including his last breath that he breathes on the cross, which is it is finished. Not BRB. Not hold that thought. It is finished. What is finished, Father Tyler? The work of reconciliation. Oh. Um, one of the things that came up in our, our pre-programming notes, the, the stuff that you have to pay extra for to get the premium programming, is... Yeah. We'll give it to you today because it's Good Friday. We'll give it to you today because it's actually it's actually a decent Wednesday uh, as we talk about Good Friday. <laughs> is the idea of of the penal substitutionary atonement theory and Father Joshua, you had brought that up, so I am going to let you speak some truth to that. Yeah, there, there's, <sighs> huh? It is. A dangerous theology. It is a hurtful theology, let me say. Um, that Christ went to the cross to appease an angry God, to appease an angry Father. Um, it is this idea that God requires blood, right? This is all coming out of a sacrificial tradition. And Judaism is not 
the, the faith of the Hebrews at this time is not the only sacrificial tradition. Most of the religions of the world, particularly at this time and before, are sacrificial traditions. To appease the gods, we must spill blood, right? But the idea of sacrifice in reaching reconciliation with God is not about what God requires. It is what is required for us, for mankind. God has given us something physical and tangible saying, I know that I am unworthy of your love, God. I am know that I am unworthy of this reconciliation. What I want to do is rip out my own hair and spill my own blood. I would do anything to get back to you. So we have this, this offering that God gives us where something can be made, something physical can be done. But if we look back at scripture, God says through the prophets, this is not the sacrifice that I desire. What do I desire of you? What do I require of you? That you would love mercy, do justice and walk humbly with God. There is nothing about spilt blood. When it comes to Christ, we called for the death of God. And we'll see this when we get to the passion. But where Pilate offers and says, shall I give up to you Jesus who is called the Christ or Jesus Barabbas? And we shouted out, give us Barabbas. Then what shall I do with him? Crucify him. We knew, we know within ourselves that we are unworthy of the love of God. But God wants to give it so badly that when it came down to it and God came unto us in the form of humanity itself, we called for the death of God. And Christ, as God, willingly goes to the cross and says, I will die for you. In the third edition to Introduction to Theology by Owen Thomas and Ellen Wondruff, one of the keystone texts from seminary days, they talk about the problems with penal substitutionary atonement theory. And the sort of linchpin of their of their criticism of, of penal substitutionary atonement is, is that the problem is the Bible does not explain the modus operandi or mechanism of sacrifice and modern interpreters are hard put to explain how it even works. Mm -hmm. That, that, and there are lots of different theories of how the atonement works. And again, add this to the bracketed list of things that merit their own podcast. But the problem with penal substitutionary atonement theory is, is, okay, Jesus dies on the cross. How does that work? Mm-hmm. What, what are all the moving pieces there? And we can't seem to make it work well that this is actually about Jesus trying to please a bloodthirsty God. Yeah. It, it, the, what we learn is not from the death, but the conquering of death. That is the reconciliation. 
It is pushing us toward the next day, for three, three days later, when Christ rises from the dead. People don't do that. But God says, do not fear death. I love you so much. I want to be with you so much that not even death will come between us. And we're, we're really skipping ahead here. We are. <laughs> but, but, but we're always skipping ahead. Um, just to reemphasize that this penal substitutionary atonement theory is something that's kind of wonky. Um, there is a, there is a, a Paschal sermon by St. John Chrysostom. Um, meaning, I'm sorry. And Paschal meaning Easter. We're, Easter we're, talking, we're talking about an Easter sermon on Good Friday. So yes, we're cheating. Um, but come at me. Uh, it's fine. One of the things that St. John Chrysostom points out in his Paschal sermon, uh, I'm just going to read it. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that was held prisoner of it, being death, has annihilated it. By descending into hell, he made hell captive. He embittered it when it tasted of his flesh. And Isaiah, foretelling this, did cry, Hell, said he, was embittered when it encountered thee in the lower regions. It was embittered, for it was abolished. It was embittered, for it was mocked. It was embittered, for it was slain. It was embittered, for it was overthrown. It was embittered, for it was fettered in chains. It took a body and met God face to face. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took that which was seen and fell upon the unseen. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? Christ is risen and you are overthrown. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Amen. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? But again, we're getting ahead. (laughs) Well, there's going to be a lot to, to squeeze in between between this episode and the Easter Vigil episode and the Easter Sunday episode. So we will allow us our liberties. The passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Didn't we, didn't we just hear this story? Seems like there was, there was a point in the last six weeks that we talked about this. Yeah. So the, the Sunday of the Passion. Um, Palm Sunday. So we're going to be impassioned again. Ah. Um, and and there, there isn't time to read it with, with justice. Um, we would be here for, for a long time. And, and maybe Father Joshua, we need to we need to record a a uh, an addendum or a uh, or what do you call those things at the back of the book? It starts with an A, uh, an appendix, appendix. Um, 
I, I think that's a very good idea. I think we will um, record just an episode of us reading The Passion. Um, yeah. But um, treating it here, this is the place where we find our focus for Good Friday. Mm-hmm. This is this is the place where it all happens, um, according to the words of St. John. Um, this is the great drama of the liturgy. This is the great drama of the church year. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that St. Paul talks about how we, do, how we do battle with things that we don't see, with principalities and thrones. And, and really, in the Gospel of St. John, we see Jesus doing battle with sin, death, and the grave. While nailed to a cross. While nailed to a cross. Um, yeah. This is why we have said, uh, preachers, beware. If, if you're going to preach on Good Friday, please keep it short. It's not because the rest of the liturgy is so heavy. It is not because the passion narrative that we hear from the Gospel of John is so long. It is because it is so good. It speaks for itself. There's, there's not much commentary that needs to be added to it within this service. Again, it's another one of those where you can just stand up and say, Amen, and let the silence hang. I was, I was reading something else. I don't remember. I think I was reading something on celebrating the Eucharist, um, which is another text for another day by a different author. It talks about how after after sermons are preached, there should be this period of silence because it's often in those moments of silence when the deep work of considering what has been said is able to sink in. Mm-hmm. People have those moments of reflection where they go, how does this operate in my life? Yeah, I, I may have finished my sentence, but the Holy Spirit is still working. Exactly. Um, and... And when we do, when we do get this addendum, uh, this appendix for the passion read and recorded, one of the things that I hope that you're going to see in that is the reason why this day doesn't need a lot of explication. Mm-hmm. And why the silence is so powerful and necessary. The silence to me is powerful because God has entered into death. And again, I want to keep reemphasizing this point, not because God had to, but because God chose to. Um, for us, for our sake. Um, entering into the entirety of the incarnation I think requires Jesus to go through death. We talk about Jesus as the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And we talk about Jesus being the good shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus goes all the way through the valley and gets to the other side of the valley of the shadow of death and then comes back for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And if, if Jesus's death had been some kind of 
grotesque pantomime. I'm just playing or, or some kind of, some kind of death that wasn't really experienced by God, but something that some kind of a possessive spirit that somehow vanished at the moment of crucifixion, then God doesn't really enter into our whole humanity. No, it's it's actually one of the things that actually, excuse the coarse language, pisses off some of the early church fathers is when the, is when the assertion is made by certain breakaway groups or certain, um, we'll say unorthodox groups that the death that we see Jesus experiencing on the cross is just the death of the body and not really the death of, of God, because God has gone away from this person. Don't read the Gnostics. It'll melt your brain. I'm not better for having done it. Um, But Jesus enters into all of death. And like St. John Chrysostom says, takes it captive but the passion, we keep seeing Jesus making the choice over and over again to continue down that road. And it's, it's profound. And you don't need a sermon. Not really. And that's coming from somebody who likes to preach. Obviously, I do it on this podcast quite often. And... I may be getting ahead, but... You're probably getting ahead. Let's go for it. You've been waiting, I'm sure, with bated breath for our musical theater uh, point in this episode. Uh, And congratulations, Father Tyler. I'm going to bring us back to Jesus Christ Superstar. The last track, the the final bit of music in Jesus Christ Superstar, as written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, is known as John 1941. John 1941. And there are no lyrics. It is a completely instrumental movement. Did you happen to just turn there, Father Tyler? Of course I did. Would you read for us John 19, 41? Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. That's it. That's how it ends. Jesus Christ Superstar is a great thing to watch for Good Friday. Because it leaves us hanging. Not Jesus. Leaves us hanging. Christ has been laid in the tomb. Jesus is dead. What comes next? What comes next? And we're left with this beautiful instrumental strings. Everything is just lovely. With this melancholy tone. And then silence. And what do you do with that? And, and that is where Good Friday is going to leave us. Um, after the Passion, well, within the Passion narrative, I will say, 
there are a few moments of interaction, a few moments where the drama is lived out. When we get to the point that they arrived at Golgotha, everyone stands. When we get to the point in the, in the gospel that Christ gave up his last breath, we are silent. This great pause of silence. As if the wind has been taken from all of us. In that moment, we have all lost our breath. And then if you don't have a sermon or why not, we come to this moment called the solemn collex. Dear people of God, our heavenly father sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That all who believe in him might be delivered from the power of sin and death and become heirs with him of everlasting life. We pray, therefore, for people everywhere according to their needs. And for the next three pages, the church gathers together and kneels together in prayer and offers what is arguably one of the most complete prayers and litanies for the sake of the world that is contained within the Book of Common Prayer that I think quite possibly is only rivaled by the Great Litany. It's, it's in the solemn collects, which, by the way, solemn doesn't necessarily mean sad. No. Um, we hear about sol- the solemn nature of right one. It's not about being sad. It's about deep holiness. Great import. Great importance, seriousness. So solemn isn't about being sad. It's about the holiness of this moment. Mm-hmm. Let us pray for the Holy Catholic Church of Christ throughout the world in a, a, a number of intercessions for the, for the church. Let us pray for all nations and peoples of the earth and for those in authority among them. A list of prayers for the people of the world. Let us pray for all who suffer and are afflicted in body or in mind. And again, this pattern repeats. Let us pray for all who have not received the gospel of Christ. Let us commit ourselves to God and pray for the grace of a holy life, that with all who have departed this world and have died in the peace of Christ and those whose faith is known to God alone, we may be accounted worthy to enter into the fullness of joy of our Lord and receive the crown of life in the day of resurrection. Really, the solemn collects are another one of these parts of an episode that could warrant their own episode. And if you have your prayer book, take a look at them on page 277, 278, and 279. And, and, and do not, do not just rush through them. No. They are meant to be slow. Uh, between each great set, there is a rubric for silence. Again, silence. I would recommend taking one of these sections and meditating on it each day, or even take a section and meditate on it for an entire week. 
it will change you. If that becomes your prayer for the week, oh my goodness. What change, what power, what miracles can we see in the world? After, after the solemn colics, the service may be, conc- may be concluded with a singing of a hymn or an anthem, the Lord's Prayer and the Final Prayer on page 282, which we'll get there. Um, you can stop there. But what's more common is, is that at this point, after the solemn collects, a cross is brought into the midst of the congregation. Um, and people venerate the cross. They venerate this instrument that the Romans intended to be an object of abject terror and torture that we Christians have taken and have used as the symbol of our greatest victory. And let's talk about that for a minute, uh, you English scholar. What does it mean to venerate the cross? You know... there's this there's this belief that it's at this moment in, in the life of the church when we stop and we worship this thing. And that's not what veneration is about. No, it is not praying to an idol. It is, it is not. And, and there are a lot of devotional practices which lead people to believe that that's exactly what we're doing because people will go up and they'll kneel before the cross and then they'll get up and they'll kiss the cross and and there's this belief that we're actually paying homage to the cross. The cross acts as a symbol in this service. And symbols are only useful insofar as they participate in the reality that they are present in. And that's very liturgical language that means that that cross is there to remind us of the cross that Jesus himself hung on. And that cross is brought into the midst of the congregation so that we can meditate on the deeper message of that cross. And people come and they put themselves at the base of the foot of the cross as if they were kneeling at the cross that Jesus himself was crucified on. They kiss the cross as a sign of thanksgiving that Jesus chose that sacrifice, that Jesus chose to stretch out his arms on the hardwood of the cross that all might come within the reach of his saving embrace. So it's not so much about offering prayer and supplication to what in most cases is a set of, of, of um, two, one by, two by fours or one by ones that some well-meaning member of the church cobbled together in their woodshed one day. It's not about that. It's about what that cross points us to. Um, and the anthems, the anthems that are optional that can be sung there point to that. Mm-hmm. We glory in your cross, O Lord, and praise and glorify your holy resurrection. For by virtue of your cross, joy has come to the whole world. May God be merciful to us and bless us. Show us the light of his countenance and come to us. Let your ways be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We glory in your cross, O Lord, and praise and glorify your holy resurrection. For by virtue of your cross, joy has come to the whole world. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. 
If we endure, we shall also reign with him. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. O Savior of the world, who by thy cross and precious blood hast redeemed us, save us and help us, we humbly beseech thee, O Lord. None of this is to the cross. It is pointing us always to Christ. And when the word veneration gets used, by the way, veneration of the saints, veneration of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we're focusing on those people to point us back to Christ. There's this awful rumor that's going around that Anglo-Catholics and Roman Catholics worship Mary. No, we venerate Mary. Some she of wouldn't us. let us. He wouldn't let us. <laughs> Mary is incapable of accepting worship because Mary points us back to her son. Mary is the God bearer, bears God into the midst of us, and then is constantly going, hey, have you talked to Jesus? Have you talked to Jesus? Have you talked to Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Have you seen my son? Um, which is why I enjoy talking to mom, because she reminds me so often that, you know, that her hope is also placed in Jesus. Mm, yes. As I, as I look at my Marian icon that lives on my desk, um, and Father Joshua has the goosebumps. Yeah. So Father Joshua is sort of a, sort of a closing meditation before we wrap up this episode. Is Good Friday good? Good Friday is very good in a tense, paradoxical way. Is Good Friday a celebration of the Holy Eucharist? Good Friday is never a celebration of the Holy Eucharist, mm-hmm. although it can be offered on that day. It is, there is a communion from the reserve sacrament. This is pointing us back to Maundy Thursday when uh, we took what was left over at the end of the night and we placed it on an altar of repose. Um, and we bring that in and we consume it all. So there, there is nothing left. The door of the tabernacle is left open. Jesus has left the building. Mm. The king has left the building. It- Good Friday is the one day out of the entire church year when the Holy Eucharist is not to be celebrated. The service here, and this is the rubrics, concludes with the following prayer. No blessing or dismissal is added and all exit in silence. Will you close us out, Father Tyler? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. Give mercy and grace to the living, pardon and rest to the dead, to your holy church peace and concord, and to us sinners everlasting life and glory. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. My dear friends, before we go, we have some announcements. 
that you'll need to be prepared for with our our next episode. We will try to get the passion of John out as soon as possible, um, but you may see us taking a bit of a hiatus. Uh, uh, we may go offline for a day or two. And uh, why is that, Father Tyler? The BCP and me started as a podcast of sort of, hey, why don't we? What else are we doing? We're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> um, Father Joshua and I live our lives out through this book like countless Episcopalians around the world. Um, there was a lot of confusion and still is a lot of confusion about what's in between the covers of this book. And we said, why don't we talk about it? Why don't we try and draw some light to this um, and and make this more accessible and more meaningful for a whole host of people? And you all have responded enthusiastically um, to the BCP and me, and we are honored and we are joyful at the thought of getting together to record this episode to these episodes. And deeply humbled by what the spirit has done with this because... It is not us. <laughs> but to say, uh, Sophia or the Holy Spirit, Sophie, as we sometimes refer to the Holy Spirit, knocks us around pretty regularly as we as we reflect on this text. Um, and we're really we're really proud of this work, and we're really excited by this work, and we want to share this work with as many people as possible. So over the last month or so. Um, we have been in talks with the publishing company Forward Movement um, to talk about ways that we could partner with them uh, and to help push this humble podcast out to the rest of the world. And I am chuffed. I am beyond pleased to announce that uh, we will be being adopted by the Forward Movement family and we will be being hosted under their um, under their podcasting directory, and we'll be showing up in their advertisements about their podcasts. And so we we have been adopted not only by Christ but also by Scott Gunn and Forward Movement, <laughs> and we couldn't be happier. Um, this this really is a work of of joy, a labor of love. And uh, we want to share this work with a wider, a wider network. And uh, Forward Movement has agreed to help us do just that. There will be some technical stuff that we have to do behind the scenes. Pay no attention to the men behind the curtains. Uh, we'll do a couple of mice clicks and things like that between now and the next time you see us in a couple of weeks. Um, if the feed disappears one day and all the episodes are gone, please don't freak out. We know what we're doing. Things are under control as much as they're ever under control behind the scenes. Um, but we will be coming back to you as a member of the forward movement family, but it'll still be father Joshua and I producing content. Uh, you just may have to deal with a little bit of commercial work at the beginning or at the end of our podcast. So this announcement of, of this great news and this announcement of, uh, and, what we look forward to being an extremely positive partnership, we would recall you to recall the silence of Good Friday, to dwell in this moment of in-between life and in-between death, thinking about how our Savior has entered into this moment with us. 
as we contemplate what comes next and soon we'll see go in silence and we will see you at the tomb <laughs>